proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective for Truth Meets Mission. I'm your host, Aaron Carr, joined by Zach Fisher and Chris Santola. Zach, you just had a birthday recently, didn't you, man? I did. It was Tuesday this week. What number have you hit, buddy? 27. I am 27 years old. 27. Yep. Chris, do you even remember what 27 was like? I can't even remember 27, but I was 27 once for a whole year. <laughs> What and and what was going on in your life when you're 27? We need to give some wisdom here to young Zach about yes. 27. Please. Oh man, when I was 27, all I was doing was raising kids and working my tail off at a hospital. You worked at a hospital? I didn't know you worked at a hospital. I did. I am a lab tech. Really? So so yeah, I spent eight years working up at uh, St. Mary Medical Center out here before I stepped out into a full time ministry. St. Mary's? Yeah, St. Mary Medical Center. So that's definitely not Protestant. No. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> Is that why you left? Is that why I left? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so at 27, you were serving at the Roman Catholic Hospital in the yep. name of St. Mary's doing lab <laughs> technician work. You were raising kids. Yep. And so uh, what wisdom do you uh, kind of pull back from that so we can you can impart to, uh, to yeah. Zach? Yeah, what should I do with my life, Chris? I cherish the pre-30 years. Use them wisely. All right. I've only got three more. Yeah. Build that foundation for the rest of your life. Spend time with your wife and kids and uh, utilize it the best you can to the glory of God because uh, it's just all downhill from there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I think all I was doing was seminary and uh, and trying to get my wife to marry me, who wasn't my wife at that point. Oh. Well, maybe not. See, I don't even know. 27. How old was I at 27? Yeah. 27. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. How, how old were you, Aaron, when you got married? How old were you? I was 29. So, 29. Yeah, so I... Yeah, that would have I would have been just starting to date my wife, who slow, who quickly became my fiance, who quickly became my wife. So, there you go. Yeah, D you didn't waste any time. So, it, twenty-seven was probably a, a great time of learning and freedom and all the other things. But much better to be married, fellas. Much better to be married. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I got married fairly young. I got married at twenty. Wow. And so, uh, how old was she? Same. 20, okay. Yep. okay. So we both got married at 20, and it was funny. We didn't spend, you know, some couples spend that first part of their marriage just kind of, you know, time with each other and that sort of thing. We were sort of like, hey, why don't we start a family? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it was just like, boom, first kid. <laughs> and, and, then, and, uh, and now look at you. You got you got women's leggings all around you. Oh, yeah. Literally, if you think I'm joking— Chris is now selling. Go ahead, Chris. Make your big P PR pitch. Oh, 
<laughs> no, me, me and the wife are going to uh, work on funding my uh, ministry habit a little bit here with uh, selling some LuLaRoe clothing. So he, I am surrounded by Carly's and uh, classic tees and leggings and such. Are you sporting now, some right now? The f- I'm I was not say. sporting some. Yeah, no, definitely <laughs> He's not. He's going to be modeling them later. It's, we'll put them up yeah, on a Facebook page. It's LuLaRoe, not LuLaBro. He's going to take the worship leader skinny jeans one step further and just go straight to leggings. <laughs> the very fact that you know all the different types really concerns me. No, you got to be down with it, man. That's a, that is part of loving my wife. Her passion is your passion. Yeah, exactly. I, I've got to be in the know. So there you go, Zach. Another little nugget of knowledge from Uncle, Uncle Chris. Be into leggings. Okay, I got it. And Zach, I did send you a funny little happy birthday meme. I hope you like that. Yes, I did. The Bob Ross one is classic. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we have to dig into the doctrine of adoption today. And I'm going to start with the shorter catechism, uh, question 34. Uh, it very concisely puts this doctrine and it says this. Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number of God's children and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. I guess the first thing I want to kind of pull out is how is adoption different than justification or regeneration? You guys want to take a stab at that? Yeah, I think when we're talking justification, we're talking a legal uh, forensic declaration of righteousness and and also as we were talking about last week an imputed righteousness an actual righteousness uh the second corinthians uh passage you know we talk about uh, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of god in him we're talking double alien imputation when we're talking justification when we're talking adoption we start getting into the issue of relationship, of familial relationship with God, and the Scriptures have a lot to say about that particular issue. It ties into the issue of our inheritance in the kingdom of God, and uh, I think that's some of the way that those things differ. I think that when we talk about adoption as well, we are thinking about uh, Adam and Christ, you know, and there's been a federal headship kind of switch, and we've gone from one family to another. And so we've gone from the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom um, as one of his children. And so that enables us to approach him as a father rather than uh, a judge. And so that's a huge change, too. Definitely. Now, I've heard it said that some people would say we have a hard time understanding adoption because we... uh, have adopted a, uh, or abandoned, it's probably a better word, abandoned the concept of family. Would you guys agree with that statement? That the church today has a, a struggles with a, a proper understanding of adoption because of its messed up view of family? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, a, a strong possibility as we look at even the church itself. There, there's such a high concentration of individualism within our culture that you know, most people don't even see salvation as a corporate thing, as also an individual thing. You know, that yes, uh, you know, we are individually saved by grace through faith, but that we are not saved into isolation, that we are saved into a community, that we are saved into a family. And uh, and the Scripture 
speaks of that in places like Romans 8, you know, talks about Jesus as our great older brother. Uh, we talk a lot about the fatherhood of God, but it is something that I think probably is neglected a little today and because we've lost that concept of family. Um, I also heard it said that some people uh, need a bigger picture of God's holiness and responsibility. Um, and we would say that's true, that, that even G.I. Packer brings that out into this culture today, that there's a, there's a lack of holiness. But while that's true in some regard, other people have more a spirit of fear and therefore need a bigger picture and a better understanding of this very doctrine we're talking about today because they have a, a misunderstanding of God as Father. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's also an issue? I do. Uh, I think even especially amongst people who are believers, uh, they they love Christ, they love God, but that sometimes, especially if you're in ministry, there can be a real tendency to slip into this place where we start seeing ourselves as servants rather than seeing ourselves as sons. Yeah. And that, I think, uh, personally, from experience, I think is a dangerous place to be. Uh, that we start doing everything out of duty rather than delight, uh, and we feel this sense of obligation to to service to God and to his kingdom and to the gospel, and, but yet it, it starts becoming something that we almost feel uh, begrudging about, that uh, we're just doing this, we have to do this, rather than seeing it as a— <laughs> service or a ministry of love, you know, out of love to God and love for Christ, and also resting in God's love for us in that. There's definitely a difference between being loved by a governor and loved by a father. And that's what I hear you saying, Chris, and that's exactly right. Um, And I would say that this doctrine is preeminently uh, an act of the father, this whole idea of adoption. Well, it is the son uh, who in, enables it by by putting us in, in right standing through uh, um, uh, justification, and it's the Holy Spirit who applies it to our life, but it's the Father's desire to have us become sons of, of the kingdom. And I think we, we got to have that right understanding that this is an act of love of the Father to adopt and bring yeah. us into the family. You know, we might even want to back it up just a little bit further because we jumped in right off talking about the the nature of adoption and what it means for us as Christians, and there's more to get into on that as well. But I think something else we ought to address in this is that oftentimes in our day you hear people talk about the universal fatherhood of God, Uh, this idea that, uh, you know, everyone is a child of God. We're all God's children. You know, that kind of a thing. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, The Scripture actually teaches that before we come to faith in Christ, that we are in Adam. You know, as you were talking about there about federal headship, uh, you know, that uh, we refer to Adam and Eve as our first parents. And, you know, we are all born into this world, uh, according to Ephesians, as children of wrath. Right. Sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience. (laughs) And and so that's our parentage that we are born into naturally. And that's where over in John's gospel, uh, I I think it's such a profound thing that it talks about 
how we have been born, you know, not of the will of the flesh, not the will of man, but of God, and says that for those who believed on him, he gave the right to become children of God. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that it can be really comforting, um, this idea that we've been adopted, when we think about the fact that we do continue to sin because we're still being sanctified, but we have an assurance that sin in our lives um, will, will not bring forth its ultimate fruit, which is eternal death and judgment from God, uh, because we're no longer, um, we're no longer in a position of judgment from him because that judgment fell on Christ. And even though we continue to sin because we've been adopted into his family, we might incur chastisement and our confessions speak to that a little bit. We might have discipline. We might, um, I think the language it uses is, uh, we might incur some fatherly displeasure, but the sin in our lives can't ultimately bring forth death because Christ has freed us from that. And so that's, that's really encouraging for me. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's encouraging for anyone listening as well, people that continue to struggle with different sins, and then you've got certain victory in those areas, and then there's other sins that God reveals to you, and then um, just to know that those don't ultimately uh, bring their final fruit in our lives is really encouraging to think about. Oh, you know, one of the passages I always kind of think of when I'm thinking along the lines of adoption is Ephesians chapter 1 just where it gets into the whole issue of inheritance. And uh, it says, uh, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Uh, and just goes into this whole, uh, this whole matter of our inheritance in Christ. I always tell people, that ask me, why is it that Scripture always speaks of us as sons of God? And it always uses this sons language. We receive the inheritance of sons mm-hmm. uh, and all that. And I said, because in that culture in which the Scripture was written, it was the sons who received the inheritance. And so when it uses that language, I say, I always tell everyone, you know, the, the ladies, I'll say, you know, don't be offended at that anymore then the men should be offended at being referred to as part of the bride of Christ. Right, yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's just a picture that's meant to communicate something bigger. Uh, and in this case, it's getting at the whole matter of our inheritance. Joel Beakey is who I was going to quote here. Joel Beakey says, Justification is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. It meets our most basic spiritual need, forgiveness and reconciliation with God. We could not be adopted without it, but adoption is the richer blessing because it brings us from the courtroom into the family, which was something you brought out earlier. And I think that's what you guys are really grabbing a hold of is this idea that we are called the sons of God is something we shouldn't um, uh, just dismiss. We should really bask in the, in the, in the wonder of what it is to truly be adopted by the father and brought into this uh, special relationship uh, through the son. And it's, uh, it's amazing to think about the fact that we are, we are co-heirs with Christ. Mm-hmm. And and that position we've been given. I think about uh, passages like Galatians three, uh, towards the end of chapter three, and then in the beginning of chapter four. And if you look at three, starting in verse uh, twenty-five, 
But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so all other um, marks of identification have taken a back seat now being adopted into God's family. And then if you keep reading down into chapter 4, um, in verse uh, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which is like the most intimate familial term from a child to a dad. You know, it's not the, like you said, Aaron, it's not the, the criminal to the judge now. Now it's a child to a father, and that's how we can approach God. And then verse 7, So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And so it's all in connection with Christ's work. Um, and it's not just an individual uh, salvation, although we are saved indiv- as individuals, but we're also made part of a new family, part of a new body. So what are some of these specific blessings that people who are wrestling with what it means to fully be adopted, they, they should expect, and that the scripture declares? Well, I think you've got a certain sense of, um, like, if you think about how close you are with blood relatives and and the, you know, the comfort that comes knowing that you've got maybe a brother or a sister or a parent or somebody that you can go to, uh, you know, if times are hard or whatever. But we've got a bond even stronger than that because we've been adopted into God's family. So any, any brother or sister in Christ, um, there's a connection that I have with and a sense of community there where I know that, you know, regardless of, you know, whoever else might desert me or wrong me, um, I've got a family because a lot of people don't have families you know, like physical families, people have died or people grew up alone or um, people feel like they don't belong anywhere. But if you are a believer in Christ, you have a family, a, a, a family that's more real than any earthly family. And so I think that's hugely encouraging. Yeah, I think there's a great assurance in recognizing our adoption in Christ. You know, Zach a minute ago was talking out of Romans 8 there and, you know, that uh, we now call God you know, Abba, Father, and as Paul develops that throughout Romans 8, uh, he talks about how, you know, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, uh, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And you just get this picture that there is this familial uh, sense about the body of Christ. And, you know, you have there the whole golden chain of salvation, as they call it, those whom he predestined, he also called, those whom he called, he also justified, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And over in Ephesians, uh, just before what I quoted earlier, it says that he predestined us for adoption as sons. Mm-hmm. And so there, all of this is just kind of, it all comes together in this big kind of ball of uh, assurance of who we are. And I think that the big, if I was to think of one word, just to wrap all of this up that we need to embrace, it would be identity. Yeah. That we, we've got to come to understand who we are in Christ and see ourselves as sons of God, as daughters of God, and, uh, and to recognize that relationship and how amazing that is that God would call us his sons and daughters. So we've, we've talked about the blessing of being in the family, having brothers and sisters, this idea that we've been given a new last name in a sense, a, a new name, a new identity, an, an, a new, new position. 
Um, what are some of the other aspects that, that are often overlooked? I, I'm going to start with one that I think is oftentimes misunderstood. But if you're truly a child of God, one of the things that's a blessing is his discipline. Yeah. Um, specifically, we look at passages like Hebrews 12, 6, or maybe Proverbs 3, 12, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And so discipline is a good thing. And and if you're truly adopted by him, he's going to discipline, discipline you. He's not just going to let your heart grow hard and cold. He's going to he's going to come after you with with a with a rod of chastisement for 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 a good cause to to bring us back home as the as the shepherd goes after the the lost sheep. Yeah, I think the the Christian who isn't uh, continually experiencing spiritual discipline in their life should probably be a little concerned, you know, about whose family they're really a part of. Because, like you said, Aaron, in Hebrews twelve, uh, starting in verse eight, right there, right in the middle, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You know, and then right before that, he talks about what father is there that doesn't that doesn't discipline his son. It's a loving thing to do. And so when we do experience that, although it's unpleasant for the time being, we should be thankful for that. And that is that is a blessing, um, even though we don't recognize it as a blessing as often as we should. But it truly is a blessing. Yeah, I think that's a, a good aspect to hit on there. The aspect of discipline, uh, just because. A lot of times I think that the idea a lot of people have as Christians is that God just wants to bless us. And especially when talking about God in the sense of, you know, fatherly affection and care, that God just wants to bless us. And therefore, anything bad, seemingly bad, that comes into our life, that's that's of the enemy. That, yeah. you know, we, we need to rebuke that. And uh, and really, when you, I've even had occasions where I've brought this up about, you know, God is sovereign and he is using these things to work in you and to transform you and to conform you to the likeness of Christ. Uh, that rebuke gets turned at me. And, you know, how, how dare you say that? God would never allow something bad to come into somebody's life, uh, you know, the life of one of his children. Uh, and I, I look back at the passage you just read there out of Hebrews and say, what about that fatherly discipline? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what What about God's, you know, as a human father, I mean, I want to spend all my time blessing my children and just, you know, pouring out great things on them. But at the same time, I also recognize that there are times when I'm going to have to discipline them. I'm going to have to uh, bring things into their life that are going to not be pleasant for them, but be necessary to train them and equip them for their future. And our Heavenly Father, I think, does the same thing. And so I think recognizing that is an important key, because otherwise, when when that discipline comes, you can wind up really confused, like, wow, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, he's our, our Heavenly Father in, in a way that he is similar to, a, or I should say, the way that good earthly fathers reflect the Heavenly Father would be that they don't just turn their kids over to their own sinful desires and let them run amok and do whatever, because that's not actually loving. From the kid's perspective, it sucks, right? Because they don't understand the bigger picture. But uh, as a father, you look at your kid, and when he's doing something that's going to hurt him or something like that, you've got to stop him, you know? And you've got to bring things that are going to disrupt, you know, his a destructive path sometimes and, and step in. 
Yeah, clearly discipline for the time or for the season never seems good. Right. But those who are trained by it, right, as the scripture says, it is it is a blessing. Um, let's talk about a couple more of the aspects that being adopted, it, it brings blessing with it. I think another one that we really need to uh, capitalize on is the idea of being provided for. Mm-hmm. Um, the Westminster Confession draws that out as one of the blessings. And you think about the fact that Scripture clearly tells us that God will provide for his own. Um, you read in Matthew six twenty six, Jesus says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they um, gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much better are you than they are? And how, or how much more important are you to him than they? And, and you look at that, and, and the very idea that birds do not have barns, yet God provides for them. And you already hit on it earlier, Chris. we got to get away from this idea that the, the God is uh, the father of all mankind. That's not true. But he does have a special relationship with his church. And in that, um, there is a special provision that he will care for us. And I think that's a, a, a this doctrine really points out the need for us to have faith in trust trusting our Heavenly Father and His provision. And I think our lack of faith attacks this doctrine, this understanding of that He really is my Father, and my Father will do what's best for me. And He is not a weak Father. He is not a, um, uh, uh, an incapable Father. He is a perfect Father, and we, we should have complete faith and trust in Him. I think when some people get frustrated because they look around at maybe like their material possessions or their financial situation or something that they don't feel like, okay, well, I'm in God's family. Like he's supposed to provide for me. Um, and I think any type of material blessing that we experience obviously is more than we deserve. Like that's God being just gracious. Um, but I think primarily the way God has provided is like spiritual blessings and as a father. And when I think about that, I think about Ephesians one, we always go to this book, but, um, Ephesians one, starting in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us past tense in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then it goes on from there. But the chief way that God has provided for us and blessed us is with spiritual blessings in Christ. And that's that inheritance that you mentioned earlier, Aaron. Um, the fact that we don't have the ultimate wages of sin coming, you know, to us anymore because that came to Christ and he took care of it. Um, so those, those type of blessings, um, happen to all of God's children. That's something that we all possess. And so I think that can help put things in perspective for some people that are frustrated maybe with God, um, you know, like, Hey, you know, I wish I had a nicer house or a nicer car or a nicer kids or whatever, you know, um, that's just kind of thinking about it in a wrong way, I think. Yeah. I think God's providential care of his children goes way beyond, uh, just the material. It definitely includes the material aspects of, you know, uh, food, clothing, shelter, uh, you know, that, uh, I, I always think back over my life and I'm like, since I've been walking with Christ, I mean, I've had some some times of plenty, and I've had some pretty lean times, but I always think about it, and, and I say to myself, God has never dropped me. Right. Uh, you know, he's never let the bottom fall out. Um, you know, he, he has always caused the ground to rise up to meet us in one way or another, and, uh, you know, I can look back over, you know, almost two decades of married life and Uh, and even some before that in my Christian life, and just be like, you know, God has been so faithful to care for me, even in times when I just was, who knows what, (laughs) just uh, being an idiot. Um, And so, 
I, I think it's a great thing of assurance to be able to recognize God's providential care for his people. And just to know that everything that comes into our life is father filtered. Father filtered. I like that. <laughs> somebody tweet it, tweet it out. Somebody right now. <laughs> what, what do you guys think about, uh, like our responsibilities now that, cause okay, we're adopted into a family. So now we have other brothers and sisters. What kind of responsibilities do we have now that we, that we take on as we've been included in God's family with our brothers and sisters? Well, it's interesting because I think all of these apply. Mm -hmm. Um, The very fact that discipline, right? And that's, you look at what God has given the church, the responsibility of discipline. Um, You look at the responsibility. One of the ones we haven't talked about yet is not only does he provide, but he also protects. And I think we have a responsibility to protect um, other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and that, and that can mean intervening when we see them going the wrong way, Mm -hmm. um, bring calling them back through scripture. Um, and so I think each of these applies in the household of God in, in our responsibility to one another as our father in heaven, um, models that in his relationship with us. I think this is partly why it's, it's never healthy when some people, um, fall into kind of like the modern American spirit of like independence, you know, where, okay, well, I love Jesus, but I don't really need to be a part of a local church, or I don't really need to, uh, be that regular in attendance or anything. I can kind of go off with my Bible under a tree somewhere. And so that doesn't really fit. That doesn't really fit with what scripture teaches about us being adopted into a family. Like if you're in a family, it's, it's not really, um, I mean, there is a sense in a personal relationship with Christ, no doubt. But I think sometimes when we so emphasize the personal nature of it, we sometimes neglect the idea that, okay, well, you need to be a part of this body now, this local body of believers. You have responsibilities to these people. They're supposed to keep you accountable. You have to keep them accountable. And that can't really happen if you're, you know, like a lone wolf Christian under a tree by yourself with your Bible, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree, man. And that is a big problem in our culture, like I was saying earlier, just the the individualistic type of mindset is, uh, and I honestly think this is why a, a lot of like kind of very big churches that don't really have, uh, you know, you could look at it in one sense and say this is a very big family, but in another sense, there's a huge sense of anonymity there, where okay, I can kind of pop in here, no one yeah. knows me. You know, I can sing some songs, hear the message, and get on out before making any real deep relationships. Right. And if nobody knows you, there's a problem. Yeah. Is what I hear yeah. you guys saying. If nobody knows you, there's a problem. Because we are to be known. This is to be a family. This there there is uh expectations of you in this family. Uh you're not just to be a freeloader. Um mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, you're going to receive blessings by being part of it, um, being right. part of it in so, some of the things we talked about. But ideally, this doctrine teaches what God is doing. And uh, if we can keep in our perspective that he is the epitome of what truly a loving father is, because I think we have jacked this up so bad in our culture, as we stated earlier in our podcast, through our misrepresentation of family, our, uh, our, our, our wrong view of identity of what it is to be a father. Um, you think of the bad jokes about who's your daddy and all the things. It, it, we have such a misgiving for this idea of this relationship between father and child and the blessing of, of being in a family. 
everything from just the way uh, fathers are presented on TV to all the things you always read about and all the books and blogs that people talk about. And I, I think we need to come back to this doctrine and just feast on the on the wonderful uh, news that it declares that we have been adopted. In fact, the, the catechism says this is an act of God's free grace. He didn't have to do this, but he chose to. And we need to dwell and feast on, on, on the yeah. beauty of it. You know, one thing you were just saying there, you know, here we've been talking about the whole issue of individualism within the culture. I think another cultural aspect that, that you were kind of getting around there is that we live in a time when fathers don't exactly have the best reputation, humanly speaking. Right. Uh, there's there's a lot of people in our generation who have had to experience uh, a very poor father, uh, you know, and a very poor example of a father within their home. Maybe their father left when they were very young. Uh, maybe their father was abusive. And now when we talk to them and we say, you know, God is our heavenly father and he wants to, uh, you know, adopt you into his family and he, or he has adopted you into his family, that there's almost a bit of a hesitance there because of that bad flavor they still have lingering of what their earthly father may have been like. And so how, how do you guys respond to that? One of the things that I, I really want to jump on right on this topic is one of the other blessings that's mentioned about adoption is that we're pitied. And the mm -hmm. Westminster Confession uh, uses that uh, idea in that that's what adoption is, right? You think about those who have been adopted. It was there was actual pity. There was uh, shown towards them by somebody who has chosen to adopt them into their family. And I think for the wrong view of of a father, uh, people bring baggage with is what you're talking about, Chris, is because they've seen it done so wrongly. But this doctrine teaches that God has pitied you and chosen for His own glory and of his own will to um, extend that arm out and adopt you, even you, even sinful you. He's brought you into your family and he's done this by the work of Christ. And that's an amazing concept. And I think that brings joy that regardless of what you've seen in the uh, worldly experience of the brokenness of father, this doctrine declares that Christ uh, has earned your salvation, but God the Father has pitied you, and he has chosen to adopt you. That should bring joy. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like you were asking, Chris, like how would you respond to someone who's real apprehensive, you know, as far as approaching or being able to approach God as Father? I think we'd have to remind them, like, all right, well, yeah, your earthly father, he's made in the image of God. He's supposed to function as a reflection of of the heavenly father and where he has failed, um, God has not, you know, so don't, you don't, you don't want to draw like a parallel, like, oh yeah, well, it's just exactly the same. Cause even, even the best earthly dads, you know, pale in comparison. I mean, we're all failures to a certain extent. I mean, everyone, all three of us are dads and we've all failed. I'm sure <laughs> plenty of times with raising kids, you know? Um, and e even where I fail people that are 
people that are better dads than me or worse dads than me. All of us fail at some level, but we have to explain to people that are, you know, kind of weirded out by the idea of God being a father. Like, listen, where, where earthly fathers fail, our heavenly father does not fail, and he's perfect in those ways. And so if your dad has let you down or he didn't provide for you, he didn't love you, you know, like he should have, um, you will find that in our heavenly father. He, and he doesn't fail to love his children. He doesn't fail to discipline his children. He doesn't fail to provide for his children. And so just assuring them, like th- there's a stark difference between an earthly parent who's flawed and uh, even the best of the earthly parents, you know, there, there's a huge difference between them and, and God. Absolutely. Absolutely. So gentlemen, taking this doctrine and, and, and we've kind of just pulled some layers back to it and we've, and we've kind of hit it from different angles what what are the takeaways you really hope that our listeners don't miss from this podcast? I would hope that they wouldn't miss the, the issue of identity. Uh, that if, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're in Christ, know who you are. Uh, recognize your identity in Christ. Recognize your sonship, that you have been pitied by your heavenly father. You have been brought into the fold of his family. You have been given an inheritance in the kingdom of God, and that throughout your earthly life, the the providential hand of your heavenly father is always caring for you. Yeah, something I would encourage people to take away from the doctrine of adoption is realizing that uh, your identity in Christ is, is your chief identity, your prime identity. So it's no longer your uh, familial heritage. It's no longer your racial background. Um, your identity is in the church now, in the body of Christ. And so when you've got a problem with someone, um, there's drama between different families and churches all the time. Uh, you have to remember that that is your brother and sister in the Lord. You have a responsibility to forgive them, to encourage them. And so just keep that at the forefront, that you've been adopted into a family. And so this is your, this is your identity now. Yeah, I guess my, my simple one is just celebrate the blessings of what it means to be adopted. You are protected. You, you, yes, you will be disciplined, but discipline is not bad. It's for your good. And, and know that uh, not only are you prov- are protected, you're provided for, um, and, and you, you are pitied. And that's a good thing to know that we, he has looked down upon us and he has saw our desperate situation and he has reached out in his great love and for, for, you know, for you church. And that there's joy in that celebrate that bask in the glory of, of that good news, the celebration that, 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 it, that reveals that, um, you have worth, but your worth is found not in your ability, but in the very fact that when we were most desperate, most in need, he took great joy to pursue us. Yeah. Great stuff. Fellas, enjoyed this one. Uh, Hopefully it was a blessing to those who've listened, and uh, hopefully uh, you've been encouraged by the doctrine of adoption. Everybody have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook